Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone. I hope you're having a great day. I am here to bring you the first guest to be on the show three times. The first time was a get to know you episode last December. I encourage you to listen to it if you want to hear all things Myrna and lay the foundation. Uh, She later made a cameo in our Tales from the Shoot episode, (laughs) which was done in Savannah at my parents' house, where you will also hear my parents and our photographer, Kim Cook. In that one, Myrna sings opera, which is pretty freaking cool and shows how diverse her skill set is. Today, you will hear a different Myrna, because how can one stay the same when your life is moving so fast? You see, Myrna is moving on the fast wave of what I can only call momentum. She is following her heart and it is literally taking her places. Myrna Valerio started a blog called Fat Girl Running. The blog got attention, then more attention, then Runner's World and CNN level attention. Suddenly, Myrna is the it girl for all things inspiration in the world of health and fitness. All this while pursuing her fitness goals in a body that she would still call fat. She's that person who you just can't help but cheer on and the person that you look to and say, if she can do it, I can too. And the thing is, a lot of people who who people may say that about, they may take offense, but Myrna doesn't. She embraces it because this is who she is and she's strong and proud in mind and body. So I think we need to start the Myrna Vader fan club. I can be the president. Does anybody else want to join? If you want to join, you'll have to ping me. Um, before I bring her on to share her infectious energy and uncondescending wisdom, I need to read something to you. See, Myrna wrote her first book. This is part of that momentum wave I'm talking about, and you're going to hear about the book shortly. It is available now in Kindle version, and on October 1st, the paperba- uh, paperback version will launch. So you go to Amazon and search A Beautiful Work in Progress by Myrna Valerio. See, I am the lucky recipient of an advanced copy, which I voraciously read this summer. During the interview, we laugh about how absurd it would be to have someone else's voice for her audible version, and she's going to talk to you about how she actually had to audition to be the voice that read her book, which I find hilarious. But then I realized that I should tease all of you before the episode with an excerpt from the book so you can hear what it sounds like to have someone else read in Myrna's voice. Um, I opened up the book right to the page, I'm not kidding you, where her story starts. So here goes, everyone. This is in chapter seven. A week later, I was in Dr. David Freelich's office for another assortment of tests and questions that included a thorough EKG with wires seemingly attached to the entire surface area of my body, a battery of blood work, and what felt like 500 forms to fill out with information detailing my my health history, family health history, sleeping patterns, diet, and job. After some nerdy banter, including geographical trivia questions with an intern and me, Dr. Freelich cut to the chase. Well, you didn't have a heart attack, he said in a very Brooklyn sort of way with an appropriately thick and comforting accent. Yeah, I know, thank God. But let me ask you this. He leaned in and looked me in the eyes. Yeah? How old is your son? Five, I say. Do you want to see him grow up? Silence. 
How could I answer this question without sounding like a bumbling idiot? How could I not have known that my health had been spiraling out of control so much so that my body needed to stop me in my tracks with this urgent and painful message? How could I have missed all the signs, debilitating hip pain, headaches, colds, viruses, and expanding waistline and inability to sleep deeply and fully, poor dental health, and an annoying habit of saying yes to everything asked of me? You'll need to change your lifestyle drastically, he dragged out the word, drastically, (laughs) Brooklyn style. Okay, that was all I needed to hear. Someone to tell me I was doing too much, working too hard, and that I was essentially killing myself. Also, I'd like you to lose 15 pounds by November. Done. Got it. At this point, I would have agreed to sell to sell my left kidney if it meant I would live healthier and see my son grow and flourish. So there you have it, everyone. That is where Myrna's story starts, and it definitely doesn't have an ending. So with that, I believe we are now formally warmed up. Let's bring Myrna on. All right, Myrna, you ready to rumble? I am. Excellent. Okay, Myrna, you are the first guest to appear not once, not twice in a cameo role, but three times on the Run This World podcast. And I'm so honored. (laughs) I'm honored. I am honored because you are a person on a roll. You're like the rock rolling down the mountain that turns into the snowball that like creates an avalanche, but it's all good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so far so good. It's been absolutely crazy and wonderful and overwhelming. And uh, yeah, I am like having the ride of my life right now. Well, we need to we need to fill our audience in on what that ride means. So the the first time you were on the show, it was mid-December of last year. So here mm-hmm. we are, you know, less than a year later and life has taken lots of turns. Um, the first show that we did, it was titled, I think it was titled um, Health at Every Size. Right. Mm-hmm. And you were just on the cusp of leading this sort of movement for women. And, uh, and you shared with us a little bit of your history of how you got there. I think it might actually be nice to do a little refresher. Sure. Okay. Um, let's see. Well, first of all, I wouldn't say that I spearheaded any sort of movement, but I'm definitely, I've, de- I've definitely benefited um, from and been part of uh, a bunch of different movements, but we'll get into that. Um, so as far as my story goes, um, I, in 2008, I had this health scare, which led me to see a cardiologist who told me that basically that I was going to die before I saw my son grow up if I didn't change my lifestyle. And, uh, and my lifestyle was one in which I experienced a lot of stress, um, a lot of sleep loss, uh, a lot of sickness, um, and uh, yeah, all of those things converged and made me realize that I needed to take care of myself, and that was back in 2008, and so I started running again because that was really the thing that I knew to make me happy and healthy um, uh, and physically healthy, spiritually healthy, mentally healthy. That was the thing that had always worked for me. So I turned back to running and uh, I started doing 5Ks and 10Ks, which turned into half marathons. And I did my first half marathon in 2010. Um, I did a couple of those. And then a friend (laughs) encouraged me to sign up for a full marathon. And I did that and I loved it. Um, I love the training. I loved being outside for hours and hours and hours. And, and then I decided I wanted to do to do an ultra marathon. And that was in 2013 when I did my first one. And the rest is history. <laughs> um, so it all it all started back. Um, it, I, I recommitted to fitness and health in 2008, and I haven't stopped since. Can we, you know, what I'm hearing is mm-hmm. you had gotten to a point in your life when where your priorities were in a certain place. Right. 
and mm-hmm. it took like a, a triggering event to like a little catalyst here for you to wake up and see. But how do we get to a point where our health no longer becomes a priority? What we have, um, if you are a parent, you don't have to necessarily be a parent in order to experience a lot of stress. But uh, it so happens that many parents do, especially women, because uh, we are still in a society where women take on the burden of a lot of the responsibilities in the family. Um, even though, even if you're in a pretty equitable relationship, um, we are, we, in America, we work all the time and I was definitely one that worked all the time. I was in a boarding school, (laughs) um, and, and I was also in grad school and I had this kid who was sick all the time. Um, I had a husband, um, I had all of these other sort of school responsibilities and, and, family responsibilities uh, that I had to take care of. And I completely forgot to take care of myself. And uh, that happens to a lot of people, both men and women. And uh, we have been conditioned, I think, by our society to make sure that we're making enough money, that we have a nice place to live, that we have food on our tables, that we're working as hard as we can to to continue progressing up the ladder. And, uh, and in that, we forget that an integral part of that success is our own sort of self-care and, and our physical and mental well-being. And, and so that's what was happening to me. That's how I got to that point. I was so concerned about being successful. And I was successful at my job. Um, but uh, there were all these other things that I chose to forget that I chose to sort of put on the back burner um, in order for me to achieve these things. Uh, And that turned out not to be a good decision. Well, and I I totally understand. I mean, I think we all reach our our lives sort of ebb and flow with the Mm -hmm. different priorities on our plate. And it comes down almost to time. Right. You're like, okay, well, I have 24 hours. And if I do this, then I'm only going to sleep five hours. Well, right. you know what happens if you don't sleep enough. Right. I know. I know exactly what happens when I don't sleep enough. What happens, after, Myrna? <laughs> after two days, I get sick. It never fails. <laughs> I am right there with you. Yeah, after two days, if I don't get more than a minimum of six and a half hours of sleep for two days in a row, I will get a cold. Okay. Yeah. It works like clockwork. Uh, You (laughs) might struggle with the 24 hour races, (laughs) which I know we're going to get into here. But I mean, I think that's a challenge for everyone listening is to step back and say, what are my priorities today? And maybe you're right on track and you feel great about the way your priorities are sort of swinging in their little balancing act in your life, you know, but if you name your top three priorities and you're not in one of them, then dangerous. yeah, I would say that's your sign right there. So to add something for yourself, even though you're the most important, something else has to give. So what gave when you made this shift? I did not, let's see, I just rearranged my schedule. Um, and I stopped bringing a whole lot of work home, uh, which is really easy to do at a boarding school because I live at my job. (laughs) So, um, but I made sure that I finished up my work during the school day so that I could get up early and I, and I got up early anyway, but I would get up early to lesson plan and to make sure that. Rashid's stuff, Rashid is my son, that his stuff was all set for school and that he had lunch ready. Um, but so what I did was I stopped bringing a lot of work home. I, I would bring work home sometimes, but, um, but, I, but I really reserved the time in the morning when I'm at my best. And that's, that's how I function. Um, I am a morning person. <laughs> uh, it's kind of annoying because I, I can get up at four o'clock and just be completely awake. Um, and I know that doesn't work for a lot of other people, but it works for me. So I would get up early and then I would, that's when I would exercise. I'd get up and get on the treadmill, do a video, uh, do some yoga or whatever it was that I had planned for that day. And that replaced 
getting schoolwork done because I knew that if I managed my time a little bit better during the day that I'd be able to have that time in the morning for myself. I love this because I think that's something that is so simple, but we forget to ask ourselves, when are we best? When is your mind the clearest? You know, when you have your best energy and like a lot of times you'll be like, well, the only time in the day I have to do something is between nine and 1030 at night, but you might be completely inefficient by that time. So you're better off going to bed and carving it out early. Yep, exactly. And I know, I know that I am no good to anyone after nine (laughs) o'clock. Don't ask me to do anything. Don't ask me to have a conversation on phone (laughs) Uh, because I'll sound drunk. So, Uh, so if you live in California, that means you cannot talk to Myrna after 6 p.m. You got that? I love it. (laughs) So, okay. So your story is, you know, truly inspiring. I mean, there's a a health journey in general. You know, you've transformed your body and your mind. And like you said, it's been a spiritual journey. Um, so let's go back to what's happened in the past year that's put your life on what I might call fast forward. <laughs> <laughs> or jump off the cliff. <laughs> um, I Okay, when we last talked, um, not in March, but uh, in December, I was actually in the process of avoiding opening the manuscript that had been edited by my developmental editor of my book. I, <laughs> I was avoiding opening it because I was so scared of what I would see. Of, of you know, I knew my ego was in for <laughs> some deflating, but uh, I was. Uh, that's where I was mentally. And um, so after we did our podcast, I um, I opened it. Opened it and. Uh, it's like a sea of red. <laughs> so that was my book. I that was uh, the first uh, edit of my book that um, that is uh, oh my goodness October first, which is in a few days, <laughs> will be uh, launched. So um, so all year those in those ten months, I've been working on getting the book to where it's going to be on October 1st. Um, I did lots of edits. I did um, lots of conferencing with my publisher and learning about that entire process, which is completely new to me. Um, I kept a writing gig at Women's Running Magazine. I was also doing my full-time job, (laughs) uh, which is working at a boarding school um, and parenting um, and doing a lot of uh, different races and a lot of tough muttering. Um, and then, uh, let's see, where do you want me to go? (laughs) Well, let's talk about, let's talk about the process because there's a lot of people listening who are like, you know, I think I have a book in me, but I don't know how to do this and what to expect. Like when you went into the process of, I'm going to write a book, like it did the final result look anything like the first idea that you had? Hmm. Well, you know what? Let's start from the way, the beginning. I um and and I was I have a really different experience with the whole process because I didn't even have to go out and look for a literary agent or um or look for a publisher or do any of that of that on my own. They actually reached out to me um, after I was featured in Runner's World and NBC Nightly News in 2015. And so my experience is really, really different than others. Um, I already had a blog. I was already writing pre- pretty regularly for um, trailandultrarunning.com and uh, on my own blog. And so so I already had a, a presence. Um, so if you do want to write a book, if, you're, if that's something that is interesting to you or um, if something that you, you, you think that you may want to do in the future, it's, you should be writing on a daily basis. Um, and so, so I, I was, as I said, I was already writing. And, um, so I had a couple of literary agents reach out to me and, um, and ask if I was interested in writing a book. And I said, Oh yeah, sure. (laughs) They love my blog. Uh, they love, uh, sort of my voice, uh, and, um, sort of what I stood for. And so I, chose a literary agent and she and they guided me through the, the entire process I had to do a, a proposal um, and that took a really long time it took two months to get the proposal to where it was ready for them to send to different publishers and um, and in the proposal because it's nonfiction 
you have to write an abstract of each chapter, even if even though you have not written the book yet. <laughs> so that was really difficult. I, you know, I had to put something together that you know I didn't know how it was going to turn out. I didn't know if I was going to be true to the abstracts of each of the chapters. Um, but uh, but when I got an offer finally, um, and I started writing. Some of the chapters look nothing like the abstracts, <laughs> and they and they expect that too. So, um, so the book looks very different from what I think both my um, agent and publisher, oh, and myself, uh, thought that it would be. I think I think people were thinking it was going to be more of a like sort of how-to book for people um, who want to start running and stuff. But I, I didn't really want to write that because there's so many books that exists already on that subject. Um, and I really wanted to write a memoir uh, about my own story because I, I've i had some media exposure <laughs> in the last couple of years. And uh, I really wanted to be able to frame my own story in my way. And uh, so that's that's what the book turned out to be. So, okay, the this is interesting. Um, a lot of people think that when famous people like Myrna, the Myrnavator, <laughs> Valerio, write a book, somebody else actually writes it. Ooh, so so in your case, <laughs> did anyone else write any of your book? Um, no, I wrote my own book. Thank you very much. <laughs> and you're an incredible writer. So I am one of the lucky few who got an advanced copy. And wow, it's amazing. I cannot wait to write my little review and get it out there for everybody who follows this podcast. Um, so, so how long does it take from the process of you know having the idea, shopping it around, and, and launching? I really started the process um, from getting a literary agent. Um, that happened in October of 2015. So um, only a year. That's not so, bad. Um, and normally, uh, well, it really depends on what genre you're writing in. Um, I contracted with the agent in October of 2015. I submitted my first, the first version of my proposal in January of 2016, but it was not finished until March. I had to make many, many revisions. Um, and then finally in April, got the, at the end of April of 2016 or beginning of May is when I got an offer. So yeah, about, I guess a year and a half, maybe a little bit less than a year and a half. And my agent thought that the publisher would give me a year to write the book, but they gave me four and a half months <laughs> to, to submit wow. my manuscript. So good thing I'm a teacher. The offer came in May. Um, and I was able to utilize my entire summer to write uh, about 80% of the book. Um, and yeah. <laughs> In addition to running some incredible races that we'll get to here. But before that, I want to talk about fear. Because when we opened up, we started the podcast, you said, you know, in December of last year, I was procrastinating to open this first revision. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think the, the fear of rejection, the fear of failure, the fear of the unknown, these are all things that stop people before they right. can even get started. Mm -hmm. um, what helps you get over that first hurdle and and move forward through those fears right well i'm the type of person that um i number one i acknowledge that i have fear and anxiety about certain things um uh and so once i know that and once i know that i'm going to experience these emotions I let myself be, I let myself have those emotions, I let myself be afraid, um, but in the end, I know that I have work to do, and I know that I got an advance, <laughs> so, so, um, so I know that I have to do it, and I have to eventually open it up, and I know that I have this, this, um, this schedule that I have to adhere to. So that's one of the things, like if I have a goal or something, I know that I have to reach this particular part of a goal, and I know I'm scared to even try, but I've got to because I've got this end goal, um, and I've got to get there. 
So um, again, I let myself have that fear. I deal with it. I do whatever I need to do to, to calm myself, to allay the fear, uh, and to talk myself out of being blocked or stopped. Um, and it, it takes that takes practice. It takes it takes a lot of self talk. <laughs> so what? Tell me about that. Like, are you literally kind of like talking yourself? I could just yeah, see you mind. doing yeah. that, Myrna. <laughs> Because, okay, really, this is not only about, like, writing, but I imagine you at the starting line on the first day of the Trans Rockies run. Like, what the (laughs) F is about to happen? I'm not sure. And I can, you know, so I'm just, I'm trying to, like, help people who feel that same feeling of, is there a special trick? You said you can kind of learn that self-talk. Yeah, yeah, and um, when... You know, having gone through a lot or having been, uh, having experienced a lot of things where fear is present uh, in races, in uh, having a new job or meeting new people um, or having a huge project to do, whatever it is, um, knowing, like really, number number one, knowing that I have to get the job done and there's, there's no way around it. Um, if, if I want better health, I have to do this. If I want to get the other half of my advance, I have to do this. And, and you make it a job. And, um, and I think your, your body and your, your spirit learn how to deal with those things. I, and I, you know, I don't have any sort of concrete strategies, but that's the way I work. That's the way my brain works. Um, and, you know, and with this, with this book, um, you know, I did have anxiety. You know, my, I had like heart palpitations <laughs> um, all fall and all winter because I was so anxious about the end product. Um, but I knew that, you know, having done like really long races, for example, I knew that if I chipped away at it, that it would get done. And I knew deep down in my heart, I know that I'm a good writer. Um, I know that um, I know that I can do the distance. I know that I can do um, the, the elevation, maybe not the altitude as I learned at Trans Rockies, but, but, and, and that, so the things that I know that I can do, those are the things that comfort me, even though I still have this fear in the back of my head. So think about the things that are good about the process. I I love writing. I know I'm a good writer. I know that um, I'm typically very receptive to feedback, even though it's still scary to look at because it is, it isn't, you know, it does deflate your ego a little bit. But if I go into the process knowing that, wow, my ego is going to be really bruised after this, but in the end, I'm going to learn so much. I'm going to become a better writer. Uh, I'm going to become a better storyteller. Then this is what I have to do. And I just face it. I love that. And you know, it's almost like as if you are outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. And you, so, so you can be looking at yourself getting this feedback can help separate you from the harshness of feedback. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so everybody, you need to buy this book. It is an incredible journey. It's not just Myrna's story. We can all relate in parts. And it's called A Beautiful Work in Progress. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yes. And a be- beautiful work of progress. A beautiful work. In progress. In progress. That's yeah. what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Gosh, but it could go either way. Okay. But um, beautiful work in progress. And uh, mainly it, right now it's on Amazon, correct? It is on Amazon uh, for pre-order um, or depending on when this is <laughs> here. Uh, it'll be available in paperback, on Kindle, and on Audible. And, uh, yeah, and it is currently a bestseller in both the Kindle version and the Audible version, which is incredible because who has heard the Audible version yet? <laughs> but, you know, so um, I'm really, really excited and uh, to see what happens. Well, the cool thing is it's your own voice, right? It is my own voice. <laughs> yeah, that was a huge win for you. Can you imagine if it was like my voice? Like, how I, weird would that feel if you were hearing your book and someone yeah. else's voice? It, it was really weird. That whole that was a whole other process that I had to go through. I had to actually audition to read my own book. Oh my! <laughs> I'm just yeah. imagining you lined up with a whole bunch of voice 
actors and um and one's like a guy who speaks kind of like channels you and one's a kid you know, how funny good yeah. lord Very funny. well i'm glad you won and uh and we're all winning by reading this book i'm serious so this uh, podcast with that you're listening to right now um we we are airing on september 29th just two days later you can uh get out of the pre-order bit and get the actual paperback correct yes awesome in the meantime get the kindle and audible love it do it um okay so the other cool thing that we have going on on october 1st is a five-day challenge and giveaway with myrna on uh skirt sports so check us out we'll i'll put a link in the show notes to that but we're just we're just making a big deal out of this because it is a big deal you know here's another question Mm -hmm. you came to a skirt sports retreat that we Mm -hmm. had uh last summer and you read a chapter from the book yes that how, was a blast, by the way. <laughs> it was a blast. So how did you feel the first time you did a book reading? Um, you know, I am a performer. <laughs> um, if you don't already know, I'm a singer and I went to conservatory. So I'm very comfortable standing in front of people and performing. And that, that's what I saw it as a performance. Um, but it was really, really cool that I was reading my own words from my own book. And uh, it's a really heady experience to do that um, and to see your own words printed on the page uh, that you didn't print out yourself. <laughs> and um, yeah, that was, it was cool. It was surreal. Um, but it also felt right. It felt very natural. Um, I also had a very, very... Um, very good audience (laughs) so that made it that much easier to do um but it was yeah it was a really awesome moment to be able to do that well and you mentioned you know feeling right and feeling Mm -hmm. natural these are things that maybe could be connected to the concept of following your heart Mm -hmm. and going where the doors are opening not closing right Let's uh let's move into your running your okay. running career, <laughs> and um, I actually want to talk about an email that you yeah. got. Uh, so there is a really amazing video that REI produced, and it's making its viral way around the world. As of today, it has 4.3 million views on Facebook. Good oh. Lord. <laughs> and it's only getting bigger by the time the podcast airs. You're probably going to have about 10 million. Um, so it opens by showing an email that you receive from, let's just say, the opposite of a fan. Right. Why don't you uh, share with us what that email said and your reaction? Um, okay, well, I don't have the exact words in front of me, but essentially uh, this person who sent me this email at my job. Um, so wait, wait, wait. He, found, he or she found your email address for your email school? At my school. Huh. Uh, emailed me at my work email. And proceeded to accuse me of being a fraud. Um, And as someone uh, who was a fake runner and who, you know, who he had seen, it was, it was a guy um, who he had, you know, I've seen your, your little videos, you, you post pretending to run um, and you want to further this perverse idea of fat acceptance and you know but what you are is overweight (laughs) and it was just you know and he said overweight a couple of times and uh and fraud a couple of times and there was some expletives also in that email and you know it was just a very angry accusatory thing that i received um on mile 28 or 29 of a 50k that I was doing that day, uh, which I find highly ironic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but what's yeah. really funny is you were looking at your email while you were at mile 28. <laughs> were you in denial like the end would never come? Um, wow. So, how did yeah. you feel? I mean, was it like a gut punch or were you pissed or were you just kind of laughing it off? Well, you know, I was stunned at first. Uh, um, really mostly by the fact that this person had gone 
and it obviously had done a little bit of research to find me, to find my email, my work email, um, and and to uh, you know verbally abuse me in that way. But it was it was a I I was sort of stopped in my tracks, and there, there was nothing funny about it, and um, you know especially because you know I was at the end of this this 50k and I had my friends with me and, and I, you know, I, I was doing the thing that I do <laughs> that he was accusing me of not doing for real. And, um, which I thought was, and that was funny. I was like, and, and, and he also said, you know, for a professional runner, you're overweight. First of all, <laughs> and then my little, my New York came out a little bit. First of all, I am, who told you I was professional? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> So where did you get that from? And so, you know, it was erroneous. And I, and I knew, you know, I knew immediately. I'm like, this is not me. This, this person has this picture, has painted this picture of me that is erroneous. And I know that. And, I, you know, deep down in my heart, I know that. But it is still hurtful. Um, you know, people say, ignore the trolls, ignore the trolls. You know, those people don't know anything. And they, and they don't, but it is still hurtful. Um, and it was, you know, and it causes emotional pain. Um, I am a very upbeat person. I'm very thick skinned. Um, but still like running is at the core of who I am and to attack that, um, was very, uh, that was very difficult to receive. So, um, yeah, so that happened (laughs) while I was, uh, doing my uh, 50k. Um, so, so, you know, we've all had people throw hurtful things at us Mm -hmm. and, there's no way around it. Like you don't want to put walls up around yourself to fend off things that may or may not ever come at you. Right. We all have naysayers. Mm -hmm. So the question becomes, how do you respond or do you respond? Um, I, you know what? I think you should respond, um, in whatever way is appropriate to you. Um, I don't think it's, effective to ignore people ignore when somebody hurls insults at you i you know i look at our society today you know there's all this bad stuff going on and there's all this bullying um you know and all these people hurling insults at each other basically and i don't think it's an effective thing to ignore them um because then people don't get the message that it's wrong um so I choose, and, and this is not all the time, and I, and I do get emails, and I do get comments on my blog, um, I, and Twitter things. Um, there was some guy that uh, said, you know, how's your diabetes? And, like, you know, and I, you know what? That one, I just blocked. I'm like, I don't know who you are. <laughs> um, and Twitter's a crazy place anyway. So I, so I just blocked that, that, that dude. But um I, uh, but I choose to deal with it in a public way. Um, for example, I wrote about that in Women's Running Magazine. Um, and I also, when I received that email, I immediately posted it on Instagram. And you know what, Nicole, you know what happened? Within five minutes, I had 95 comments on that. <laughs> and they were, they were all positive on my Instagram. All positive. Within mm-hmm. five minutes. And then... After about 45 minutes when I um, finished that last loop of the 50K, um, there were over 200 comments. And then it just yep. kept coming in. And, and they were all, with the exception of one on my Facebook, <laughs> um, and, but people rallied. People rallied. And they, they said, get off this woman's Facebook. You don't know what you're talking about. But every, you know, 99.9999 repeating um, percent were positive and encouraging and motivating. So, you know, you know what? So that made that whole situation 100% better. It was you still, know, back in my head, it was so painful. And it was, I, and I was still wondering why did this person reach out to me like that? Um, you know, um, but, but then I knew that I had this entire community of people who were, you know, who were batting for me. And, you know, I think the, the thing is, we will all have people in our lives who throw daggers, right? right. Mm-hmm. And what happens is they make us question whether they're true. Mm-hmm. Like they make us insecure and they make us wonder like, gosh, is there some truth to that? Right, right. And when you can open it up to a greater audience, this is right. kind of cool, actually. Mm-hmm. You open it up before you reply to that person and you get all the support. Then you can reply 
and go, Absolutely. dude, check it out. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, here's here's where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that's the power of community. Whew. Yeah, and what a great community we have. Runners, athletes, and it's it's just really powerful and amazing. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, we mentioned this in the beginning and a little bit throughout here, the movements that are going on, the way our culture is shifting. And yes, there are some mean and spiteful people who right. who aren't able to, you know, see beyond their own problems probably <laughs> to... Uh, accept what's going on here but i you know i'm kind of confused about Mm -hmm. all these movements there's like you know there's this whole fat shaming issue and there's Mm -hmm. health at every size and then there's this like body acceptance thing Mm -hmm. and i what's what are they all the same sure well you know what i think uh the three movements, well, there's the fat acceptance movement, there's health at every size, and there's uh, the body positivity movement. And, and really all three of them are, I would put them under the umbrella of body positivity, um, but, uh, but they all are slightly different from each other and have slightly different foci. Um, so the fat acceptance movement is really concerned with um, addressing issues of, of anti-fat bias. Uh, in the workplace, in medicine, in media. Um, and so they do a lot of work and it's very sort of sociologically based and psychologically based um, on combating that. Um, and it's a, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a pretty strong movement um, that has lots of different personalities that I don't always agree with the methods and, um, and sort of the attitudes of all of the different personalities. But I think at its core, it really is about addressing any fat bias, 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 <laughs> bias. Um, Got it. <laughs> I make up words and pronunciations. <laughs> um, and so there's, so there's that there. Um, and that, that's also, some people refer that to, um, refer to that as a size acceptance movement too. Um, and then so, and you also have the health at every size movement and that movement is really concerned with celebrating the sort of diversity of bodies across race, ethnicity, religion, um, class, gender, identity, sexual identity, um, and you know, all the things that I deal with on a daily basis in my work at school. Um, and it, they really are um, concerned with challenging traditional scientific and cultural assumptions about health, um, which, which is really, really interesting. Um, you know, just for example, with me, uh, you have, having grown up in an, uh, a black family, a black American family, um, there are assumptions that people make about black people's health or Latinos health, um, or things that have not been tested on different populations, but all the medicine is the same or all the treatment is the same. And so when there are differences, um, you know, based on environment, based on genetics and whatnot, um, you know, in between, uh, different cultures and whatnot. So, so what health at every size really does is is to focus on that and to make sure that you know people are getting equitable treatment um no matter what their body size is or their culture is um because that's not always the case so it's Um, not like health not meaning fitness i would say health and fitness well and fitness being a part of self-care and they advocate for self-care which is not always um, something that is prioritized across cultures. So, um, so yeah, fitness is definitely part of it. But fitness, there's, you know, there's not one definition of fitness. And so that's something that they take into consideration when they're talking about uh, to the diversity of bodies across culture and stuff. Got um, it. So, yeah. And, um, and then the, the, the last one, body positivity. I mean, the overarching idea of body positivity is that all bodies are good bodies, right? Which is an amazing concept. <laughs> um, but, you know, there are different factions of the body positivity movement. And, but, you know, and, and also it's, what's interesting is that um, lots of people have taken body positivity to mean only certain bodies can be good bodies, <laughs> which is, you know, totally against the the idea the initial idea of body positivity um so you know my body like 
my body is good, but your body isn't. But uh, what's, give me an example. That is so weird. I don't understand. Like there are a lot of um, uh, people. Okay. So in, in the, in the world of, of fat people, and I put myself in that, in that world because that's where I live. Um, you know, there are differing levels of being fat. There's fat, there's super fat, there's Lane Bryant fat, meaning that you can fit in the sizes at Lane Bryant. Um, and so there's, e there's even divisions between different, differing fat bodies. You know, like if you're Lane Bryant fat and, um, you know, you may think differently, you may feel great about your body, but not great about somebody who's fatter than you are. So, um, and, and, and some of these people call themselves po body positive w when they're not. So it, it's really, it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> I don't, yes. I mean, it's just very mental. It is very <laughs> it mental. Is. But it's also, you know, a lot of it's based on societal pressure and, you know, um, and our societally accepted aesthetic ideals. So, well, there's that, but then there's, you know, the underlying concept of what happened to you in the very beginning in your story, like your doctor said, if you keep going, like you're going, you're not going to be around much longer. Part of that might've had to do with weight, but other parts yeah. had to do with, you know, eliminating stresses and, right, and which he was very aware of. And because he asked me questions and I'm, you know, I'm also very, very um, forthcoming with my doctor and I ask questions and I, I feel very empowered to do so. And I know that one of the issues that people have, especially people who are fat, is not feeling empowered to ask questions because lots of doctors were, will automatically assume that all of your problems are due to your weight or, or due to whatever uh, sort of uh, body um, you have. So, um, and that makes people feel disempowered and they don't ask questions or they don't go to the doctor. Um, so uh, that's a whole other issue. Um, that health at every size, uh, that movement, that's the thing that they address. Uh, because they want people that feel empowered to go to the doctor, <laughs> um, you know, if they have some sort of underlying issue um, that's not related to weight. But yeah, so um, yeah, and you know, and for me in 2008, for me, once the doctor, once I had a conversation with a doctor, um, and he wasn't condescending, he, um, which. I've definitely had those types of doctors. Um, uh, he was very direct. Uh, he said, this is what you need to do. And, and in my, you know, I knew that for my particular body, that was too much weight on my body because I had never been uh, that heavy before and I would never had the health problems that I was having. Um, and so, um, and I, and I knew intellectually that, when you have a high stress level, you have a high cortisol level. <laughs> so I had a lot of inflammation. And so, um, which was mostly due to stress. And, um, and so I dealt with that. And so I tried to get rid of a lot of stressors in my life, which we talked about in the beginning. Um, and, and I did that. And the, for me, the weight came off when I eliminated those stressors. <laughs> wow. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't about food. It was about sleep and stress for me. You know, I, I don't even like the word stress. I, uh, like 10 years ago at Skirt Sports, I said, mm -hmm. we're just going to stop saying that word. And instead, every time you want to say, well, I'm really stressed or it's stressful out here, you need to change the word stressed with excited. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and honestly, this little reframing trick, I, you'd walk in the back in the warehouse and it'd be crazy and skirts are flying and whatever. And you go, how's it going back here? And they'll be like, it's really exciting. <laughs> the thumbs up. And you know, yeah, there's still a lot of pressure and there's a lot right. to do, but it changes the actual energy force in the room. Right. Yeah, but I, and, I, and I like that you, you're actually acknowledging it at the same time. We, we've got a lot of stuff to do, but we're going to try to reframe it uh, to make it not <laughs> a negative thing. Well, because you know what? A lot of us put stresses and excitement on ourselves that if you just think about things differently in your life, mm -hmm. that can even change a little bit of how urgently you feel you need to do them or include them. So yeah, I mean, this is huge. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, now that we've got 
we've got some good foundation here. <laughs> Let's talk about some cool endurance events that, so you've got this, you know, year where mm-hmm. doors are opening, like opportunities are happening. Myrna is like becoming mainstream. It's mainstream <laughs> Myrna time. I mean, you're getting invitations to do events that, I mean, you just can't turn down. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, tell me about this year. Like, tell me one or two epic things you did. Um. Okay. So, well, I'll tell you about Trans Rockies and how that transpired. Um, first of all, Trans Rockies is a six-day stage race um, with a total of 120 miles. And... Uh, it's about 20,000, I think it's a little over 20,000 feet of elevation, um, in the Rockies. And so, uh, in December or January, I can't remember, I actually was having a conversation with my yoga teacher and, and she was going through life coach training and, uh, she was like trying a little bit out on me. And, um, and so we, and she talked about just kind of putting things out in the universe, things that you wanted to happen. And I said, you know, and, and this was, this was just a couple of weeks after I had, uh, we had spoken for our first podcast together. But and, wait, this is funny because it's such a yoga thing. Like yeah. put your <laughs> intentions out yeah. there, but like there is it's, something to totally this. Works. It totally works. And so she's like, what's, you know, so what's, what's something that you really, really want to do, uh, you know, in the next couple of months that you've been sort of uh, not feeling certain about or um, you're having some feelings about or something's blocking you? I said, you know, there's this race that I want to do. It's out in the Rockies. And, and uh, you know, I just, and it's six days and, you know, I don't know if I can do it, but I just really want to try. And she's like, what, what race is that? And I said, well, it's called the Trans Rockies Six Day Stage Race. And, um, yeah, and I've, and it's been on my fitness bucket list for a long time. And, um, but I think, yeah, it, it, it just seems too hard for me. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it, but I really want to try. I kid you not, two days later. In my <laughs> inbox um, was, uh, and, and, and I think actually it was your fault because what had happened was. Oh, good. <laughs> because you had reposted the NBC, um, the NBC nightly news spot that, that I had been on. You'd posted it um, in, your, in your show notes. And that started circulating again. And somehow it got the attention of the folks at Trans Rockies. And then I got an inbox. Your presence is requested at Trans Rockies. Oh, I love it. Like you're the queen. It, oh. it, it, it was so, and I called my yoga teacher. I said, oh, my God, you know what just happened? I was invited to Trans Rockies. And she said, oh, my God. Okay, so wait, pause. Everybody listening, just take one second and throw something out into the universe that you want to happen. Do it right now, because in two days, it's going down. Whew. So that's how that happened, and and I immediately accepted. I you know I didn't know if I'd get permission to be away from work because it was at the beginning of a school year when I had to be coaching and I had to be like training people, training faculty and workshops and stuff. Um, I just did it. I said I'm gonna, I'm going to do it. I'm going to find a way to do it. And I'll, I'll figure out the details later. And that's exactly what I did. And, um, yeah, and so uh, in order to do that, I, need, I knew that I needed to do a lot, of, uh, a lot of races and a lot of mountain, not mountain climbing, but and I needed to be on mountains all the time during the summer. So that's exactly what I did. Um, I, you know, I looked at other people's training plans and blogs and stuff, and, um, and I... I knew that I needed to be able to do between 3,500 and 5,000 uh, feet of elevation in a day. Um, so, and that was the extent of my research because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't look at any of the routes or the maps or anything. Um, but uh, yeah, that's I, that's what I did. I signed up. I did, um, and a lot of them, a lot of the races that I signed up for, I didn't finish. But I knew, but I was going in there for training. I wasn't necessarily going in with the goal of oh, you know, I really want to finish this marathon. I just needed, I needed the miles and I needed the, the mountains. 
And so I did, uh, I started, didn't finish, the North Face Endurance Challenge in Massachusetts, which is really, really difficult. Um, and then I, I, before then I did, um, or after, I don't even know when I did these things. <laughs> um, I did a 12 hour, um, a 12 hour race up and down a mountain in Jersey, um, where I did, I didn't run, I didn't run, I didn't do the whole 12 hours, but I, I was moving for 10 hours and I did 5,500 feet with like lots of breaks in between each loop. And, um, and then I did the finger lakes. 50s and I did the 25k in that um, actually dropped down from the 50k to the 25k uh, which technically was a DNF but I don't care um, and then I did the catamount 25k um, I did my own training I did a lot of lifting over the summer with a, an amazing strength coach and because uh, I really wanted to be ready I wanted my legs to be ready I wanted to be mentally ready and uh, and it was one of the greatest summers I've ever had because I was it, I was totally in I was all in one hundred percent and I knew that doing this uh, engaging myself in this process of training was just making me stronger even if I ended up not finishing Trans Rockies which I didn't I ended up with seventy two miles not one hundred and twenty and fourteen thousand two hundred and fifty feet of elevation <laughs> wow um, but it was it was such an experience. Uh, it was so great that I immediately signed up for it again. <laughs> oh, you're coming back? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> okay, I have a couple questions. Do you yeah. have, do you have a coach? I, I don't have a coach right now. I probably should get one. Well, let's talk to Tim DeBoom and see what he can do. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that guy? <laughs> All right, we, we got to hook you up with somebody. But the other thing that crossed my mind was, you know, as you're talking about all the training you did, and, and there were a lot of events thrown in there as part of the training, in my head I was like, is this sustainable? And then, you know, so that's a just a question I ask. Like, has this continued, and is this what you want for your life going forward, or are you, is it in a, in a cyclical kind of format? I, well, I definitely think it's a cyclical thing. Um, I know, like the physical exertion was is was so great that I'm still recuperating. <laughs> I, I'm definitely still in recovery, um, and and you know, in my stupidness, I signed up for a 60k in New York City in November. But you know, I'm just gonna try it, see how it goes. But um, yeah, I definitely um, I knew that I would have a full summer, and I knew that it would be. Um, stressful and uh, or exciting in, in a physical way. And so, um, but, but I knew that and I knew that I would take some time off afterwards. Um, and so, but I, I was, I drew up a training plan for myself and I, you know, I know myself, I know I need to go three weeks hard and I know, and I take a week off, um, you know, and I know about macro cycles and micro micro cycles and, and periodization. And so, um, you know, because I, I train runners myself. So, um, and, and I knew that my legs would need to be stronger. So I, and I worked with somebody uh, who was a professional in that. So um, in terms of uh, the weightlifting. Um, but yeah, definitely, I definitely know that uh, I need to slow down. <laughs> well, you know, it's not about slowing down. It's just about maintaining yeah, yourself yeah. so that you can stay on this incredible track that, this wave that you're just riding maybe forever. <laughs> well, so a lot of people may say, well, you didn't finish trans Rockies. Like that's a failure. How did you look at it? God, I did not see it as a failure at all. First of all, it is hard as hell. <laughs> and anybody, I think anybody that shows up to the start line every single day, um, is you know worthy of lauding uh, you know everybody has different goals um there are some people that can finish and there, there are lots of people most people finished all six days and you know kudos to them i was there you know i i would say to myself when i did feel down about you know not completing a stage um i would say to myself you know i'm here for the pictures <laughs> and the experience and really that that was my that was my frame of mind. You know, when I when I didn't finish something, I said, "Well, you know what? I got great pictures out of it, and it's going to be a great story, either for women's running or for my blog, and or for my next book." And um, and and it, and 
I went in, I went into it knowing that I probably wouldn't be able to finish. Um, but, uh, that didn't stop me. <laughs> um, and cause I knew I was going to have a good time. I knew I was going to meet incredible people, which I did and, and form friendships. Um, and I knew that I would learn about myself. Um, and I learned so much about myself so much so that, um, you know, every day that I was out there and every day that I was ha having a hard time, I was thinking, Oh, how could I have trained better for this part of the course? Or how could I have done this better? Or how could I have, uh, eaten better? Or how could my, how could my nutrition have, uh, been modified so that I could better, so that I could not have a tummy ache all six days, which I did. Um, and so, you know, I learned those things and I, and I expected to learn those things um, about myself. And I learned that I needed to train differently. I needed to do more elevation. I didn't needed to be in Colorado at least three weeks before, which is what I'm going to do next year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, we got our guest room cleared yeah. <laughs> out for you. Yeah. So, so, yeah. You know, Myrna, you have created what I would call a life of opportunity. Um, what do you, how would you, how do people create a life of opportunity? Um, I think you have to just remain open, remain open to the possibilities of life, uh, remain open to failure and all that you can learn from that. If you call it failure, um, be prepared for adventure, be adventurous. Um, and, uh, when opportunity knocks on your door, like run through that door as fast as you can <laughs> before you can think <laughs> yeah before thinking because when you start thinking about things and you start considering the ramifications of this and the implications of that and and the consequent the possible consequences and whatnot uh then you start stopping yourself and um i am you know what i feel like I, I feel like I'm in the prime of my life right now. And, um, and all, and as you said, all of these doors are opening up to me and I just want to take advantage of everything. I feel like the world is my oyster. Um, and of course I have to be smart. I have to, I do have to consider, well, I have a son. What, what is that going to mean for my son? What is it going to mean for my family? But, uh, but on the other hand, you know, if we don't take those opportunities, if we don't take the chance to change our lives, um, drastically, um, even if we're already living a pretty good life, then it's always going to be shoulda, coulda, woulda, you know, like, and, and I don't want to have those lingering questions when I get older. Well, what would have happened if I had, or if I had gone, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to leave anything to chance. That's very well said. Well, you know what? We have run quite long today, so I'm going to throw at you this final question that I ask every guest on the show, and you've already answered it once or twice. And it is, if you could give our listeners one final nugget, one piece of advice so they can run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? I would say, um, I mean, the last time I said, just lace up and go. Um, and that's still true, but another piece of advice that I would say is be authentic and practice being authentic in everything that you do, whether it's in running, whether it's in writing, whether it's just in living and being uh, a family member and being a friend, practice being authentic and the world will, will open its doors to you. Oh, I love it. Well, you absolutely are, you're very authentic and that is what I I love the most about you. So oh, get your butt you. back out to Colorado so we can hang out more in person. Do the next oh, one of these. Uh, we'll do the next one of these live. Yes, with wine. Like like last time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. That was fun. <laughs> All right, Myrna. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're so proud of you and everybody listening. We're going to have all those uh, show notes about how to pick up her book, A Beautiful Work in Progress, and so much more about Myrna. Thank you, Nicole. I appreciate it. All right. All right. How amazing is this woman? Um, I learned a lot from this episode, and in my opinion, it all boils down to accepting and embracing exactly where you are in this life. Myrna says, I feel like I'm in the prime of my life. The world is my oyster. And here's my response. 
Why can't we all feel like this every day of this life? If you live each day with this mindset, how can you not be totally full to the brim with happiness, positivity, and self-love? It doesn't mean you won't be nervous or fearful or all those other things, but you'll be full. All right, everyone. On that, I will leave you. Be sure to pop over to Amazon and nab one of Myrna's A Beautiful Work in Progress books. Until then, you know where to find me and you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout and we'll see you next week.